1: Welcome to the Iron Woman Podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, this is the much-anticipated marathon race recap episode. But before we get into that, can we talk about your fingernails? Because are you in your era's era?
2: This is totally T-Swift inspired, but I actually wore these nails during my FKT last summer and so they were like my good luck FKT nails and they're nail stickers, Haley. They're Manny Me. Yeah, they're Manny Me nail stickers, the neon ones. I don't, I I used to do the custom fitted Manny Me. And then one time I saw how much cheaper the non-custom ones were. So I ordered those and Ooh. they are exactly the same. Pro for tip. Me. For me, for me. So Aww. these were like, and they're these have been on sale. So
1: Manny Me... I don't so know. to get okay for our listeners because this is like an audio format. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you have you have like one of each color on each finger, which was one of the Taylor Swift. Uh, she posted that before she started her Eras tour, and I did have a few friends reach out and they're like, "We need to do our nails like this." And she I must actually, have been tracking my
2: FKT and saw them during that. Well, okay, because like, my you know? thought
1: was I was like. I do not know if the nail technicians in Bozeman could handle me doing that. Like, I'm like, when I go in and ask for like neon nails in the first place, it's like, I mean, they see me coming now and they're just like, oh, you neon yellow. And I'm like, no, maybe neon pink, but Um, but now I know the sticker thing. So wait, Mm -hmm. so tell me about the colors. Did you have to, is that a set? That's all the different colors or did you have to buy like five different sets?
2: Um, no, you buy it's one set. It's intended to be this way. The extras that they give you, because when you get nail stickers, they also give you like a sheet of extras in case you mess it up. And those are all neon pink. So you like only get neon pinks for your mess ups, but this is how it comes. It's amazing. It's really fun. Um, and I will give you, I think you've done nail stickers before. I think I started on nail stickers. I feel like, and um, my pro tips for listeners out there is that also get, get like the base coat that they sell and then get the sparkly top coat that they sell. And it's a learning curve to like, get them like everything once you're doing them and you have to like kind of file it and then you use a nail clipper and you like cut it. Right. Right. But like now I can do these jams in like 20, 25 minutes, I get it done. And like, you'll get better at it. I think they, and like everyone does compliment me on them. So I think they look okay enough, right? And then you can take them off really easily. Like you just peel it off like a sticker essentially when you're ready. And then just use like a, I don't know, like a goo, anything that will remove like sticky substances will work just to get the like sticky off, but it doesn't pull your nail off like um, gel manicures do. And then you also don't have to stick your hand in the UV tanning thing, (laughs) Which I think it does. Makes it me tan really your hands? No, but I don't it think this just giving me hand cancer or something. I'm like very scared about what it does when it you stick your hand in that. So it can't like if you're not supposed to stick your whole body into a tanning booth, you're not supposed you shouldn't stick your hand in there, right? So um you don't have to do any of that. It's safe and um it's fun. And it's just that, yeah, once you get used to it, it actually becomes very easy to do. So I highly suggest nail stickers. And then you don't feel bad if like a week goes by, you pull them off, you want to change to, you know, maybe next I'll go like dark gray. Cause my race didn't go well. So I'll go into morning and then.
1: No, like, oh, okay. No. Okay. Let's talk about this race. It, you ran a three Oh six. I know that, you know, very publicly you had said that you were trying to break three hours in the marathon three Oh six. I just like spoiled the whole thing, the whole story, but okay. Still a very, very fast time. Um, but we need to hear the details, how it played out. You are running with a group like did ha- tell us about the day.
2: Yeah, no, I mean the lead up could not have gone any better. It couldn't have been any more of like a stress-free pre-race thing. I was staying at my parents' house, which is like the house I grew up in. So like, I'm very comfortable there. Um, The days before were like really bad weather, but the weather continued to like look good for race day. The packet pickup was like a half a mile from my parents' house. Like everything was easy. The only hiccup we did have pre-race was that my friend Carly, who was in this group with me going for the sub three, she has two little kids and um like earlier in the week i want to say like wednesday night into thursday her husband came down with like a virus and they were just like praying it was food poisoning and it wasn't she got it friday night into saturday so her pre race day was like basically on zero calories and just trying to like re you know hydrate with whatever she could so that was not ideal but She also was like, well, let's just see what happens. Right. Like nothing to lose. Why not at least just give it a try and see if like miracles do exist. Right. For her part. And, but she kept like really good spirits. Um, and then we had my, my, two of my athletes, Courtney and Brian, who are also training and trying for the sub three. We had Tim there as a pacer. We had Emily there who was going for just a Boston qualifying time, but she's also like very good runner so she was like I'll try and pace you guys for as long as I can and then just make sure I like skirt in for the the Boston qualifying time um and so and then we had my boyfriend Matt who was jumping in at 10 miles to be a pacer so like we had it all covered it was all logistically like pretty planned out well like yeah I mean it's a low-key marathon on a paved rail trail and you know I had reached out to the race director ahead of time to just clear everything you know I had Bought Matt a bib, but I just wanted to make sure it's like okay. I just wanted to put it out there, like he's not gonna for- cross the finish line, like he's just jumping in and out. He's gonna carry water bottles, that sort of thing. Is this all okay? And she was just like, "Yeah, you can literally do whatever you want because the race trail is open to the public. So like, you can have rollerbladers alongside you. You know, you can have like whatever. Um, And it's it's it like game on, right? So um, that was cool. So yeah, I mean, race day really perfect weather conditions, except for the wind. The wind was not ideal. It was like, I don't know. I want to say 10 to 20 mile per hour winds throughout. Um, what was the temperature? Like when we say race day, perfect. Like what, what is that for you? It was, um, like four high forties to start. And it, yeah. And so by the time I was finishing, it was climbing probably into like the mid fifties, um, sunny, but the trails pretty shaded most, a lot of it. And then um, humidity was actually at like 60% to start and was falling through the day, which oh. was crazy, right? So it was getting better as we were running, which was like that I'm more afraid of humidity than anything else, I think with race day temperatures. And then, but the wind, the wind was really tough. Um, But we, we start, we, you know, we're like perfect pacing through the beginning, you know, 651 is like the goal pace. And we're like literally clipping off 651, 651s and we, it was a little bit slow, if anything, to start with our, our group. And it definitely made me nervous because I was like, eh, this feels like, what did should feel like? And we're, you know, 652s feels like what I want 645s to have felt like, right. Um, but you just keep going, <laughs> you know, um, and you just keep hoping it'll turn around. You never know, um, you know, doing the nutrition plan, just kind of trying to zone out and like, get to the next little, like, section of the course and seeing if it'll change. Um,
1: and Wait, this can course, you share what your nutrition plan is? Cause I know that a marathon is quite different than an Ironman.
2: Yeah. So I, um, will, I was trying to take in like 800 calories during, um, so I had 800, 800 calories of like, uh, of gels, basically spring nutrition gels that I was taking pretty much evenly throughout. So like three, every three miles was my target. And then, um, drinking water, every aid station and Gatorade, like water and aid or water and Gatorade was at every three miles. So I was taking that whenever I could, you know, come through and scoop up a cup. Um, I carried a very tiny bottle to start for the first 10 miles until Matt was jumping in. And then he was carrying a bottle for me for the every three miles and aid station every three miles it's is a- like Yeah. It's like you get thirsty. Right. So, um, but I trained a lot, like carrying a handheld. I didn't think that was, you know, but it was nice to be able to like, not have to think about that in the second half. Um, and yeah, so that was the plan. And I mean, it was all going pretty well. Carly, unfortunately did feel pretty early that like, it wasn't going to work out too well for her. Um, so she ended up stopping at halfway, but I actually, I didn't know that I thought, you know, I knew, Um, I still had Tim and then Brian and Courtney with me and like Matt had jumped in, we were all still together. And so I was like, okay, like we're, we're doing it. Right. And then as it does, like, I think in marathons, it can just go from like good to not good pretty quickly. And it's interesting. Like you look at the data from the day and it's, it's pretty clear, like right, um, where You can see it in like my cadence very clearly. Like I'm right at 180-ish, you know, a little bit, and then all of a sudden it drops like 170, Um, and that's when I, my, I just, you know, my legs didn't. Do you remember what mile? them over. What mile that was? It was between like 16 and 17. Was where I finally like, I my pace slowed, off pace, I guess. Yeah. So I was like barely hanging on until then, and then it was like, okay, no, but. That course. So you're, you go out one direction, you kind of go down a hill, you, and then you have the only big, you turn around, and that's the only hill really like of significance on the course. But then you have from then on, so mile seven to mile like 19, one direction on that path. And so that was the headwind. So we had like a 12 miles of a headwind, and that was tough. Like it just wears on you, you know? And again, like I I think. I mean, the wind could have been worth what, like two minutes, right? It wasn't like it was like the preventative measure here in like my success for the day, but it was hard. Like it's just mentally taxing it, you know, it's energy sucking, you know, all of those things to just not get a break from it. But I was proud of myself. So I felt myself like I felt that switch kind of happen. And I was like, oof, like. I, I can just feel my body slowing down, like, against my will, and so I was, like, okay, Brian and Courtney, like, you guys got to go stay with Tim, because he was, like, just, you know, a few seconds ahead, like, if you can go, you, you guys have to go and stay with him, and Brian went, and Courtney was, like, I don't know, she had, like, some stomach problems going on and stuff, so, um, then... I, you know, I was like, okay, let's just like recalibrate. Matt's like feeding me the gels, you know, getting me the water bottle. Like, let's just check the boxes. It'll turn around, get to the turnaround. And then you'll have a tailwind and, you know, see if it's like salvageable basically by that time. So I was proud of myself for like hanging in there and then made the turn. And of course I think like, you know, you expect the tailwind to be like, all right. Like now I can just make up all this time. And of course it's like not really how it felt. It felt better and I could like keep it together, but I wasn't going to bring my pace back to like, to get that time that I lost back. But I was then able to like switch my mindset to like, okay, my time goes out the window here, but I'm like in the rate, right. Like I'm still doing well. Right. We're like, I can see in the out and back how many women are in the marathon, you know? And so I knew that I was like fourth, I think at the turnaround. Um, and so I just was like, okay, like now you're just going to race the race. Right. Which is like what I like to do anyway, you know, that's like the fun part to just kind of dig and like push yourself and like not have to pay attention to your watch. Right. So, um, even though I knew it was like, I mean, it felt like I was running so fast, but like, I was like grinding out 715s, Right. And like, um, I caught the third place woman and I had seen her walking like up ahead at one point. And so I was like, okay, so that gives you a little bit of like extra, you know, energy just to get through that last 10 K. Um, and so I was able to hold it together um, for the third place female and the winner of the 30 to 39 female age group, which was. <laughs> sister, I mean, I- 30 year olds are very fast. So, um, you know, to, to be doing that, it, it's definitely, you know, I mean, again, like I didn't meet my time goal. So I am disappointed in that, but the race itself, I think, you know, like I did, I did. you know, oh, I, gosh. yeah, oh, it's wow. not. Yeah. So I think I'm happy that I like gave it a shot and tried. And, um, I've talked to my coach Hillary a bit about it and what, you know, we kind of talked about a lot is that like, I love training. Right. I love training. I love checking the boxes. I'm really good at like training, you know, like I love that feeling of getting hard workouts and like getting them thrown at me and executing them. And I do a lot of that on my own. Like I just, I thrive on that. Right. Um, And what I didn't do in this specific build and part of it was a conscious choice because it's kind of like an off season fun project. Right. I didn't want to spend my off season, Traveling to these build-up races, like spending the the resources and the time and the energy to like find a half marathon somewhere where it's not winter to go race, or you know, even just like smaller local races around here weren't really happening in the winter. And for me specifically as an athlete, like I can train really well, but the racing piece is very is like it's. I think it's this way for everyone, but definitely I feel this way for me. Like it's a different skill, and I need that skill. Like practiced right like you can be very fit but to still execute in a race environment and to like really dig into that like that kind of speed that you know it's a very aggressive speed for me to hold 645 650 for 26 miles and so to do that like I should be practicing it more and I think that would be one change to make if I want to try again is to like put myself in those race environments where I'm in that like I'm forced to run really hard and I have to figure it out and I have to do it. And my body feels it. And I kind of like rip the band-aid, so to speak off those fast twitch muscles a bit more before the marathon. Um, but, and that's what I did. Like even thinking about last year going into like my FKTs, like I raced a 10 mile road race. I raced two fifty Ks, you know, like I did that a bit more. Cause I do think racing in prep for like, you know, your big race is, is just good. And I think for me, historically, like looking back, I've always done my best after doing a build that includes several races along the way. So, um, but I just love training so much. And it's like, it was, you know, it was nice to be like, okay, I did, you know, but it is a good lesson learned, right? People like you can do all the ASO 800 workouts you want, you know, you can do these like really hard marathon workouts. Like four by five K in your long run, you know, like all these things that you're like, okay, if I can do this, like, surely I can run the marathon. You know, I'm like checking these boxes and these, you know, these are supposed to be the workouts that make you hit it. Right. But like, it's, you just, yeah, you still have to execute on race day and that's always going to be like something else to figure out. So it's, but it's fun. It's fun to do that.
1: Yeah. And I, I just know from past couple of years of, watching women go for you know uh, times in the marathon especially i think with the olympic trials qualifying times for 2020 and then also for 2024 um i think that has just been really cool like i think that's really neat and i think that there are these time barriers like 3 hours in the marathon and or hitting a boston qualifying time and like going for it is really neat cuz even if you fall short it's like, okay, 306 is still really fast. And I mean, especially when you put it in the context of you do like 200 mile races, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) in like mountains. So it's like, oh, okay. Like that's like, that's like a short speedy effort for you. But, um, but I think that I, I just think back to like Ruth, Brennan, Maury, who we've had on the show, um, going for the 2024 Olympic trials, qualifying time and at Houston falling a little short. And afterwards, I think we shared some texts and she's like, okay, I think, you know, the concrete in Houston wasn't quite right. And I just need more strength. And she's like, I'm going to go for it again. And I just think it's so cool. And like, she, you know, and and I I don't plan to go for it in 2024. Like I, you know, I I gave her a scenario where maybe I would, but I don't quite feel the pull I did in 2020, but, um, and 237, I feel like I'm like, oh, but honestly, there's a part of me that's like, Okay, maybe if I go for 237 and like I could get under 240, go 239, like that would be incredible. Like I yeah. would like celebrating like crazy. Cause I don't necessarily feel as much of a pull to like actually be at Olympic trials. Um, which I mean, kudos to the people who do. It's just Orlando doesn't quite do it for me, like Atlanta. <laughs> um, but uh, but I just think that there are certain things where like you can go for these goals and even if you fall a little bit short, it's still like, oh my God, like. I think you you alluded in your uh, Instagram post to like running kind of near your childhood home and mm-hmm. having so many people from your your past out there and it's like wow who would have probably thought you know if you looked at twelve year old Alyssa that she'd be back here you know going for the yeah I mean win in that race
2: Haley my Navy marathon so I was on the Navy marathon team for a bit of time when I was at the Naval Academy and it was, we were like in the high school cafeteria waiting for the race to start. And I'm like, turn around. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's still coaching. Cause the Navy team has like a huge team now. And it's, they were there. And I was like, I cannot believe he's still coaching, And he was like, I can't believe you're still running, you know? And like, you're like, I'm fastest X. And his, his like kids that were like babies are now in college. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're so old. But it was so cool that like, he's still out there coaching, you know, all the Navy kids. He was on course. He was like, are you still on pace? I was like, nope, but I'm still on it. You know? (laughs) <laughs> oh wait you were having this conversation mid-rate oh <laughs> uh, well the first part of the conversation was before the second part he was like he was like, out there cheering and then I mean he didn't really like know where I was in the I'm like day, he's but like, but, yeah. I'm yeah. like wait he's like showing you his children while you're running like no, at 650 pace and you're like hi oh you're I so know. proud um, but oh, but before I forget to say it too, so you know we I had talked about this a couple of weeks ago, like you know, putting the numbers towards a goal like this, it's fun to, you know have the odds like right? like how will it unfold for everyone And I kind of thought we would have one person sneak in at least under three and our our diehard pacer Tim, he did run, he did his duty. he ran a 258 successfully, perfect pacing right after so he nailed it and then my athlete Brian, Um, ran a three hours and 48 seconds, Haley. So he's so close. And he just ran, he had a huge PR in January at the Houston marathon. He ran a 308 there. And then now, so I mean, down to three hours flat with, you know, 48 seconds to spare. And so i i mean again that just goes to show right you like keep knocking on the door keep doing the work and um and you know he's he said he's very excited to start riding his bike a bit more so he's ready for triathlon season but it was i think brian brian takes the cake for you know the the person attempting who who came the the closest and kind of held on for as long as he did so that was impressive
1: yeah well congrats to you and your crew hopefully you're recovering uh Pretty well this week. I I did make it back from Chile. I'm in Bozeman now, and I I really thought that by the time I got back, the snow would be gone, and I was wrong. Um, the endless spring
2: winter. Yeah. Well,
1: it's not like two feet oh in gosh. one night, like last Friday to Saturday. And actually, like I really, I I wasn't sleeping well, probably from jet lag and whatnot. And so I woke up at like three a.m. and took Cowboy out. And I was like, what is this? Cause it was like, I just didn't, I knew it was maybe going to snow, but I didn't know that much. And so yeah. in the morning I was like, I got to get up early I had go to the gym quick. Cause I'm like, it's going to be so crowded. And then I like got out there and I was like, um, there's no way I could drive in this. Like there's no <laughs> way I can get my car on the driveway. And so I was waiting for like the snow plowers to come through and it didn't happen until like 3 PM. Cause oh I gosh. couldn't even, I will say VJ shoes are uh, one of our new sponsors. I did get some ice heroes in the mail and at first i thought i was like oh this is so sad i'm gonna have to wait till next year to use them and now i'm like oh, i'll probably still be running in these in july but <laughs> this was beyond like the level of snow like two feet of fresh snow i don't think even ice heroes no. okay that i like it's like i need treadmill for sure but i did make it to the gym eventually just late night late night working oh out gosh. for me um but i'm excited to give the ice heroes a try now in the next couple of days now that things have gotten a little packed down and are turning to ice and they have i i, I will say i just like took them out and tried them on and they have a lot of little spikes. I was like mm-hmm. this this is going to be very interesting to see how they how they handle the the ice around here.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to hear your verdict on that. I think um the VJ shoes tagline is best grip on the planet and you know, not only for the ice heroes but also like their other trail running shoes um and it definitely, you know, I always when I don't don't do these with the ice heroes but when you if you get their other shoes you can like take them out put them on inside kind of walk around in them and they're like so sticky on your floor um that they like you hear it like sticking it's so amazing but again the ice heroes you probably don't want to walk around on like your nice house floors on too much but um if our listeners do want to check out ice heroes if you're in this endless winter as well or any of the other options from vj shoes use code feisty vj for twenty dollars off a pair of shoes and the website is I think, vjshoesusa.com. Yep. vjshoesusa.com. So that's exciting. And Haley, yeah. we have a mailbag question. All right, let's do it. So everyone can always send in. We've been getting some really good ones. Mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Sonya asks us um she's been listening since our first episode so that's wow been a while. yeah she has that's grown up with a hardcore us. Yeah. fan thank you <laughs> and she has a question about toe health um and a few months back she ran a race the top of her second toe looks black so it doesn't hurt but it seems to be going away At first she thought it was kind of badass, but her boyfriend thinks she should get it checked out. Um, She doesn't want to bother her doctor unless absolutely necessary. So she's checking with us before, which I love. So um, Haley, how are your, like if you were to show your toes right now, do you have black toenails? Do you have all your toenails? I feel like they're beautiful,
1: but I think my my, like picture of beauty is maybe, or my definition of beauty is, beauty is in the eye of the beholder for sure. Uh Um, I'm curious about this like, is it her toenail? I mean, she says her t- second toe. Like the actual toe looks oh, yeah. because Oh
2: yeah. Because okay, I have true.
1: definitely had a toenail turn black. And okay. I think I actually had one on uh, one toe that like the nail was just like dead. And I would still go get like a pedicure an occasion. And I would just be like, just leave that one alone. Just like yeah. put a little polish on it and yeah. leave it alone. Like, just I know it over. looks bad. I know it looks dead. I know it doesn't bother me. Um, and so- like there's certain things on the pedicure. I also, I mean, now that we're talking about nails so much on this episode, like I never want them oh, to yeah. use that like cheese grater thing. Cause one, oh, I'm really yeah. sensitive and I'm like, no, I worked hard for those calluses. Leave my calluses mm-hmm. alone. I'm like, honestly, I just want you to paint them and make them look pretty. But yeah, like- but going back to Sonia's black toe. Um, I mean, is it like a blood blister? Like, I mean, that could just be a blood blister on the top of the toe if it's on the skin, which would that- be.
2: More- big of a deal right yeah that would be my guess is that like that toe especially if that second toe is like you're one of the people I think it means you're really smart when your second toe is like bigger than your first your big toe or your longer it smart
1: or like good at running
2: <laughs> both I don't know both and you're beautiful yeah
1: <laughs> and you're like yeah So special. tell your boyfriend
2: that be like just be happy my second toe is longer but if it is longer and it like hits the shoe right then Um, it definitely could just be like a blood blister or a bruise. And in general, with my, I've had all sorts of weird toe things um, from like infections in my, under my toenails, from like blisters I've had during multi-day stuff where like, obviously I haven't been super clean and it just gets really gross and um, becomes, (laughs) it's really gross, infected. And I've had to have like the doctor drill through my toenail to like pop the things under there. And like, then the toenail comes off. So all sorts of things have happened with my toes. They've been all sorts of colors. I've had frostbite on my toes. Um, so, but my conclusion at what would be, level do you go to the doctor? Yeah. So if it's not hurting, and but it, I don't think it's an issue. Like I think you're probably just bruising it, or it's like a blood blister, and it's just probably there. But if it really isn't causing you any pain or discomfort, I think it's just from your shoes probably and like running um you could maybe like if you go for blood work or something once a year or do a checkup like maybe throw that in there but I tend to think if it's not like painful or spreading like if it's black or red and like you start to notice it's getting like more black and red down your toe like that would be really bad right but um I think that I mean I've yeah like I've had a lot of you just don't want it infected. And if it's changing colors, moving where the rash is or like hurting or like smelling weird, I guess, those would be signs that maybe you should see a doctor and get something to put on it. But otherwise, my conclusion would be to just go get a nice pedicure and they'll paint your toenails nice and then it'll just like offset it. So but on it and honestly, pedicures are a very good way to keep good foot health. Um, because a lot of it does depend on like, you know, keeping everything like just nice and your toenails not digging in. And like, cause that's how you do get more problems and like things can get infected and stuff. So, um, pedicures are, you know, self-serving, oh, wow. self-serving helpful thing, but, um, I think you're fine. And you can tell your boyfriend that Dr. Haley and Dr. <laughs> Dr. Ironwood. I know are I was like, wait, do you need
1: <laughs> like a disclaimer <laughs> that like, we are not like probably shouldn't be giving medical advice, but Alyssa, you've had more toe issues than anyone (laughs) I know. So I would
2: take your advice. Yeah. I feel like, you know, like you will know when you need to go to the doctor about it. So at this point, I think, yeah, you're good, but good question. And other people can send in their mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Alyssa, we have a a great interview as always this week, right? Yes. So Haley, we talked to Emily Shryock, Shryock, sorry. Um. Gosh, it was a little while ago because the feisty team met her at Endurance Exchange and she has asserted herself in the U.S. pipeline for paratriathlon, but her path there has been anything but linear. So we talked to Emily about her development in para sports, her day job at the University of Texas, and of course, her service dog, Maple, among several other topics. And it was great to chat with Emily. That will come up next after a word from our sponsors.
1: Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hello there. Thank you so much for having me. So I believe you ran into some of the feisty media crew at the Endurance Endurance Exchange Conference a couple weeks ago. And we've caught up with them a little bit on uh, what happened there and their perspectives and a few of our other guests. But I'd love to hear more about what the experience was like for you.
0: Yeah, so I live in Austin, which was where the endurance exchange was being mm-hmm. held. And so I figured it would be a great opportunity to be able to, you know, connect with some folks that I already know, meet meet new folks, um, and just kind of reconnect with the world of triathlon. So it was fun to um, get to see some of the vendors, attend some of the sessions. Um, and yeah, it was overall a great, great experience. And I came away with a lot mm-hmm. of good Connections that have been excited to follow up on um, after the Endurance Exchange was over.
1: Were there any sessions that really stood out to you?
0: I really enjoyed the diversity, equity and inclusion session just to hear what's going on um, specifically in uh, USA Triathlon. Obviously, as a para-athlete, you know, I'm, I'm very up to up to speed on what's happening kind of in the, you know, disability and para-triathlon world. But it was helpful to, you know, hear what the, the overall scope of diversity, equity, inclusion, and access looks like, um, you know, for other populations.
2: Did it leave you feeling hopeful or like, yeah, I guess what was, you know, do we have good takeaways from that or a lot of, I know we have a lot of work to do regardless, but was it, did it leave you hopeful?
0: Yes, it did. It was exciting to hear, you know, the progress that's being made, at least on the the U.S. level, about some of the policy changes, about some of the resources that are being developed. Um, I think we all know that the entry to triathlon is really high. There's just a lot of challenges to getting folks involved, whether that's access to equipment or training facilities. And so being able to hear what some of the the resources and opportunities are to kind of lower that threshold um, and be able to make triathlon accessible for everyone was really exciting to hear.
1: And what about the networking opportunities at a conference like that? I mean, I think that's one of the main reasons people attend, right? And you mentioned meeting some people, being able to follow up later. Is there anyone that stood out to you? I mean, aside from maybe the feisty team.
0: (laughs) Of course, they were absolutely the most memorable. Um, But, you know, just being a a para-athlete in that space, I think just that representation is so important. Um, You know, being able to talk to some of the vendors, you know, and asking, like, is any of your research or product, you know, being considered around para triathletes and, you know, our different needs and the equipment that we use, you know, and for a lot of them, the answer is not, not really, not yet. Oh, maybe we should look into that. Um, and so those are conversations that I always just enjoy having is one, just asking that question um, and hopefully maybe just putting the that on the radar a little bit more um, so that we are, are being considered as, you know, <laughs> software equipment, um, you know, training is being developed, making sure that, it's something that can benefit all athletes.
2: And Emily, I think your, your story in Parasport begins like about over a decade ago, maybe while you were in college and you contracted Lyme disease. And we've done an episode on Lyme with pro triathlete, Angela Nath, who had Lyme disease. And I've spoken about it with my own struggles in the recent years. Um, But I always think it's really good to revisit this topic, like selfishly, because it kind of you know, really blindsided me with how it affected me. And so I, I guess I would, I'm will, wondering if you're willing to share your story with it a little bit and talk about how you got Lyme and how it affected your body. Sure.
0: So my initial symptoms um, likely came around age six. Um, at that point, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, um, but it was kind of an atypical case. So, you know, now looking, looking back, it's likely um, that that was kind of the beginning sy- symptom that was misdiagnosed. Um, I didn't get my formal diagnosis until I was in college, um, and by that point I had a lot of um, neurological involvement um, that did lead to my use of a manual wheelchair um, full time. And so, even though I was still starting treatment and going through treatment, you know that damage had had really been done. Um, and so I still continue to use a wheelchair, Um, some of my other symptoms have improved with treatment. Um, I've gone kind of through these periods of remission and relapse um, over the years, um, and I'm always always so grateful when I'm in that healthy stage and I'm able to to train and compete um, because that's not uh, a given for me. That's never kind of known, you know, when those relapses are going to hit, and so it always just makes me that much uh, more grateful for the the health when I do have those times and I'm able to um, train and, and compete.
1: And can you tell us a little bit about your path in sports? I think, uh, I believe you You picked up quad rugby in college. Is that right?
0: Yes, the wheelchair rugby was my first uh, adaptive sport. And once it became clear that using a wheelchair was gonna be my my reality, um, I wanted to find a way to stay active and engage in sports. So I contacted the local rehab hospital because um, I knew they had a sports program and they were like, hey, it's rugby season. You should go out to a practice. Um, so I really just kind of stumbled into that. Um, Love that sport. Um, although it is a co-ed sport at the time that I started, um, there were only a handful of women playing in the country. Um, so it was playing with an all all male team. Usually I was the only woman at a tournament. Um, played on the national development team, um, had the opportunity to compete internationally um, multiple times. So really enjoyed, enjoyed wheelchair rugby um, and then always kind of did some other sports on the side. So I played tennis, um, would do hand cycling uh, recreationally. Um, so I was always dabbling in other things um, and then kind of made the switch to um, triathlon really started to be competitive with it. Um, really just last year, um, always before it was just, you know, like, eh, let's do a triathlon once, once a year, um, you know, just kind of do it for fun. Um, but then last year really started to take it more, more seriously.
1: And what was the catalyst for that? Why take it more seriously?
0: So I just come out of a, a pretty significant relapse, um, and was really feeling good again and kind of wanted to to give being competitive um, at a very high level one more go, um, and triathlon was something that I'd done before. Um, there was some some support around that, where uh, USA Triathlon is really trying to bring new athletes into the pipeline. Um, so just kind of timing wise, um, I went to a um, development camp. Um, you know, so got got some training, got some coaching, and realized that. With, with some work, I might be able to, to be good at this. Um, so trained last season, did a number of races, um, came in second at nationals last year um, and was actually um, just made the start list for my first world triathlon race um, in Sarasota in March. So really, really excited to be able to take that that next step up to the world triathlon level.
2: And I feel like, um, you know, we're gonna kind of back up just a little bit, but jumping into, to rugby right is a pretty intimidating sport um to so had you always been an athlete you kind of mentioned that you you knew you know you dabbled in triathlon a little bit was that as an adaptive sport or had you done that prior
0: no I didn't do triathlon until after until I was a a wheelchair user so I've only ever been a a para triathlete growing up I was very active as an able-bodied kid um softball was the only team sport that I played um which I always joke had no, did nothing to help me with either triathlon or wheelchair rugby because they're completely different, different sports. Um, But really just losing a lot of the, I guess, more e- easier ways to be active when you're able-bodied, like, oh, I'm just going to go, you know, Run in the park or jump and do this. Like you, you don't have that as many options as a wheelchair user, and so getting connected with more formal sports programs really gave me those opportunities. So that's where connecting with some of the lo- local sports programs, you know, who had the equipment, who could get me started in that, um, really helped kind of cement that. Let me let me try a bunch of different options and then you know see what what I like well enough to be able to invest in my own com- equipment and be able to to train in. Was and one of those was, pro- oh, oh go ahead. ahead.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> I was okay. Asked, was what was one of those programs acro yoga? Because I think that's <laughs> what your bio and is we were both like very curious about this. I think I may have done it at a bachelorette party years ago. Um, it's where the like the ribbons are hanging down, right? And you like kind of do yoga
0: acrobatically? Is that how is are you thinking the wrong thing? So you might be kind of mixing or combining a couple of things. So yoga okay. typically doesn't have the the ribbons or like okay. the silks. Um, you're more kind of doing partner balancing, like on each other's feet or hands or arms. Um, there's a very active uh, acro yoga community in Austin, um, and I kind of stumbled stumbled into that as I was between my kind of competitive sports, um, and really just found that to be a super welcoming community, a very fun and creative way to to be active. Um, so that's that's kind of my my side my side gig at the moment. Cool.
1: So you're still doing that. I think it is different than what I did. We did a very beginner class and I was just, I mean, I'm not like that kind of athletic, I guess where (laughs) like the like body awareness kind of, and like, it was so, I mean, it's also like very like yoga is so like mental too. And I don't, I don't have that, but I feel like it's a good combination with swim, bike run, which is so like linear.
0: And it's also really nice because it's a partner, you know, activity. So you're also doing it in community, um, and it does have that creativity, you know, to it. Whereas, yeah, you're always pretty much going to swim, bike, and run in the same same way. Versus something like acro yoga, you know, you might take uh, something and be like, well, what can we do with this shape, or you know, how do we how do we move and create with each other? So um, it's still very physical, but it does add in kind of that community and creativity component that I don't get in the other physical activities that I do.
2: So I'm, I'm curious still, because you, you said you, you know, jumped into the quad rugby program and you were often the only female at tournaments and things like that was, what was that time? Like, was that really difficult for you? Because it's like, here's this sport where, you know, it kind of aiming to feel included again, feel like you can, you know, you're participating again, and then also, to feel like you are still different because you are a female right out there and surrounded by men on the rugby field so was did that kind of I don't know ever was that a struggle to kind of get past or were you so enthused to be playing that and the guys were great it was like not a big deal or how has that kind of progressed for you
0: I think it was a little bit of both I mean certainly the first practice I show up I still joke I'm like I can't believe I came back Um, but you know, they were very welcoming and because I was so new to my disability, like that was a community that I was really hungry for and like really needed, you know? So it was, yes, absolutely. We were playing, you know, rugby and having a good time on the court, but everything that was learning off the court, you know, how do you get your wheelchair in and out of your car or how do you, you know, navigate these different systems? The, The other, you know, my teammates had so many years of experience with doing that, that I, Really needed um, and benefited from. And so that kind of informal mentorship was it's such a huge part, really, of any adapted sport is learning with and from each other. Um, there were definitely times where it would have been nice to have another woman around. Uh, you know, where the other women who played in the country, I did get, you know, a lot of support from them. Um, you know, and we all, we all knew who each other were, and it was great whenever we showed up in tournaments. Um, and towards the end of my wheelchair rugby career, um there were more women who were starting to get involved in the sport. And so that was really exciting to, you know, kind of be that trailblazer in a way and be able to, one, ha- be taken seriously by the male athletes, um, because that was something, you know, initially you'd show up on the court and they'd be afraid to hit you or, you know, they would treat you differently on the court and then be like, okay, fine. I'm just going to score on you. Then it would only take a couple of times before they, you know, really started seeing like, oh, okay, she's an athlete. I can treat her like, you know, another athlete versus, you know, as a, a woman who's going to, you know, whatever scream if I knock into her. So um, the, the culture and the attitude towards uh, female players definitely changed um, throughout the time that I was in the sport. And, um, and now there's even more, more women playing, which is always super exciting to see. How many years were you playing? I think I've played well, for about 10
1: years. Okay. Yeah, solid amount. And you. as you move into triathlon, um, we have we have talked to Kendall Gretsch, uh, Olympic gold medalist, paralympic gold medalist, as well as uh, Lauren Parker, who was silver in yep. that exciting, exciting race in Tokyo. Amazing. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that national championship race and and just getting into this high level and and targeting, you know, para, the Paralympics, I mean, like, can you, you know, explain a little bit more about what that, that experience was like?
0: So I think anytime you're moving from, you're like, oh, I'm a good recreational athlete to like, huh, I wonder what I can do in this sport, you know, and start pushing those, those boundaries. There's always that question of, of where is that limit? You know, how good, how good can I get? How good can I be in this sport? Um, And it's really exciting right now at at the level where I am, there's um, about five or six of us women who are kind of trying to make all this push to the international level at the same time. Um, Certainly, Kendall is and probably always will be in a class by by herself. Uh, She is an amazing athlete. Um, She wasn't competing at nationals um, last year um, because she usually focused on the world triathlon circuit rather than um, in the U.S., uh, but so at any of the, the races that I competed in last year, there were like five to six of us that, that at any race, any one of us could potentially win. So we're all pretty, pretty close, um, which makes it exciting, uh, you know, and really does give you that, that drive to to train and to compete, um, knowing that you've got that competition so, so close on your heels. Um, so coming in second at nationals made me realize that, you know, with with the right coaching, with the right training, um, with the right equipment that I I do have a shot at the international level. Um, So that's what I've really been focusing on since nationals um, is working with with a coach, really, you know, trying to get prepared for for this season. So it's a little strange to have your first race of the season be your, first uh international race Um, uh, so it would have been nice to get a few more practice races in but that's kind of you know how the the timing goes and I'm excited to you know see see what, what this training is going to pay off and you know where I start the season versus where you know hopefully I'll be able to to end it
2: Sarasota is the place to be yeah. in March for sure <laughs> Um, Emily, I believe you had the fastest bike split of the category in that national championships race. So, you know, you talked about your coach, who are, who are you working with? Um, that's coaching you now. And did you guys, it sounds like you've kind of made a game plan. Is there like a specific kind of area of focus of how your season will develop or like in training, are you doing a lot of one thing right now to kind of build a base in a certain area?
0: So my coach is uh, Kristen Hench, um, and she is a para tri coach who coached uh, one of the camps that I went to. So I had a chance to to meet her, um, really clicked with her, appreciated her kind of training perspective. Um, So I've been working with her since October. as far as what I'm focusing on, I lost all my, my races last year on the run, um, which is always just so disheartening, because you've done all that, that good work, and then, you know, in that, the last uh, 5K there, you get past, um, so I've really been focusing on on the run. Um, it's also the thing that I like the least, which, of course, is, you know, the uh, correlation there, uh, so really trying to embrace the run, um, focus on that so that I can, you know, finish, finish strong, um, and hopefully not not lose that edge that I might've gained in the, the swim and the bike.
1: Yeah. And what about the gear? I know we talked to, to Kendall about her gear a little bit is USA triathlon helping you source,
0: you know, really good gear. Cause as you mentioned, that makes a big difference. So I'm definitely in the process of trying to find grants and sponsorships to upgrade my gear. Cause again, every, every second counts. Once you're starting to get at, at this higher level. Um, And most of the equipment that I've had, I've had for five to six years, kind of got it when I was really new to the sport, kind of a more recreational athlete. So it's, it's time to make that, that upgrade in addition to the training, you know, that's only going to get you so far. um, Equipment is another huge piece of that. So there are a number of um, foundations that have uh, grants. So the Challenge Athletes has been um, a, a support of mine for years, that's how I initially got my um, bike and hand cycle, or my bike and track chair. Um, I'm also part of the Dare to Try team uh, this year, and they also have uh, an ability fund that I'll be applying for. So I'm trying to work, work that angle as well, um, just knowing that, again, that's, that's all part of that leveling up process is getting the equipment to support you in that.
2: And Emily, we just found out in recent news that paratriathlon is confirmed for the Paralympics in LA in 2028. So honestly, I was a little bit surprised to see that this wasn't a given. Um, And so do you know more details of the process for confirming the para sports? Can you tell
0: our listeners if you do? So I know that paratriathlon was new in 2016. Um, So Rio was the first time that paratriathlon was in the Paralympics, Um, but every, every, Every time around, um, every sport has to submit uh, an application for inclusion in the Paralympic Games. And I think I'm certainly not an expert on that topic, but a lot of that is based around, you know, how many athletes are competing in the sport worldwide and really making the case that this is a a competitive sport, that this is a sport that has, you know, competitors from around the world to be able to support that inclusion. And I know sometimes sports are turned down for inclusion just because there's not not as, you know, it's really dominant in one part of the, the world but not in another. So really looking at that spread of athletes um, from across the world. So, you know, you always hope that once it's been in the Paralympics, it's not gonna get removed, but they're also, you know, always trying to add, add new ones. And so every time you, you know, add something new, you know, they're trying to maintain the, the balance and logistics. So until it's confirmed, you know, you're always hopeful. Um, but it is kind of that sigh of relief, knowing that there, there that will be a metal event, of course, in Paris, um, and then in LA 28.
1: Yeah, are you hoping to be in Paris and LA?
0: I'll, I'll say I'm hopeful. Um, for Paris, um, you know, it's all based on ranking. So I'm kind of a little little late to the game as far as that goes. Um, I'm currently ranked 21st in the world. So I have uh, some work to do to to bump up that number um, so some of that's also going to depend on how many races I can get into this season, as well as the the results for those. So probably by the end of this year, I'll have have an idea just numbers wise um, if Paris is a, a possibility. Um, otherwise, I guess I'm on the, the longer, longer track to see if I can hang in there till uh, L.A.
1: Home country Olympics though. I mean, that it's wild that it's only five years away. I can't believe that. Like, it feels like it's within grasp. And I love thinking I'm not like super familiar with LA, but I do love thinking like, where could the triathlon venue be like, you know, which beach and like, I don't know. There's just some cool, cool thoughts, right? I don't know if you're familiar with LA or have any, maybe you have some insight on, uh, on plans for that.
0: So the plan is to have it at Long Beach, um, which was the the nationals course last year, um, okay. so they're trying in association with the uh, Legacy Triathlon. Um, they were trying to have nationals there to, you know, tweak the course. So it was great that the race directors were asking for our feedback, you know, on kind of what what worked, what didn't work. They're already training their, you know, swim handler. So that was one of the cool things about competing in nationals last year was knowing that, you know, this is likely going to be very similar to the LA. You know, twenty-eight course um, to, to to kind of get that sneak preview. Um, it is going to be um, a, a world triathlon race along, in Long Beach uh, this year, so it won't be the national championships, um, but it still will be a world triathlon race. So I guess give give everybody else in the world a chance to to come check out the the course. Well, I think Haley, Haley, you have family
2: in LA, right? And I have my sister there. You so I'm it. like, already the wheels are spinning. I'm like, okay, oh, sounds have, like- we have no excuses to be, I like, didn't even put the pieces I together a until couch right reserved. now. <laughs> I have a
1: couch reserved already actually in Long Beach. And so <laughs> I, um, I, I can make, I'm like, oh my goodness, 2028 is going to be here before you know it. And I'm just so excited. I want to watch all the events. So, I know. um, I'm very excited. We'll is I am curious if the format will change at all because I did watch Tokyo and it was really chaotic. I mean, with the men and women racing at the same time and, um, just all the laps. I mean, can, can we like start something to, I mean, how hard is that to like split up men and women (laughs) racing? Cause I just felt like it was just like too many people on the
0: course. There was a lot, lot going on and then you've got you know uprights and tandems and hand cycles and every everybody's you know all out there together which i guess is kind of what we're used to when we're racing um you know i'm sure it just comes down to to schedules and all of that um the long beach race did it it was laps um so you would have the the same thing there unless they make more changes i mean
1: I understand the laps. It makes it kind of, uh, exciting, but it does when you are like in a hand cycle, it's a lot harder to pass or, you know, in a racing chair, it's, you need to make sure there's like enough room. Cause that does impact the outcome of the race. And especially if you're like passing or getting passed by a man who isn't even in your race.
0: Yeah. You really have to stay, you know, in your own, in your own head, um, you know, and focus on your own results with that because it, it is easy to, you know, kind of get up or, or just like, oh, I want to stay paced and you're like, wait, 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 that's not the pace that I'm, you know, I'm racing for. So really focusing on yourself and not what everybody else is doing um, is, is harder when you've got the people passing you who aren't in your classification.
2: And Emily, you, I think it's like one of the fake virtual backgrounds right now, the University of Texas background, but I believe you are in Austin for your day job as well as a disability cultural coordinator at the University of Texas. Um, if I guess first tell us if, if I got that right, if that is yeah. kind of what you do as a day job and then second, you know, what does a day in the life look like for you then?
0: So I recently transitioned to my new position, which is the director of the new Disability Cultural Center at UT um, at the University of Texas. So. Um, it's super exciting to be in a role where I get to really build and create the center. Um, I'd been at the university um, in the disability and access and more of the accommodations, disability services side of things for the past 12 years. Um, and then in January, I made a shift to um, the cultural center, which is more focused on disability identity, community building, advocacy, and programming. So I'm very, very excited about that change. Um, I will definitely find ways to incorporate uh adapted sports into into that um our calendar of events. Um so right now we're doing kind of hybrid um models so in the office two to three days a week and and then home um which is really nice for training you know being able to balance kind of longer longer training sessions um on the days that I'm home and don't have to worry about a, a commute or you know showering before getting to the the office. Um, so that's been super helpful. Um, my training routine really varies depending on the weather and the time of year. So being in Texas um, in the summer, if you want to do anything outside and survive, um, you better do it before 9 a.m. Um, so then I'm doing early workouts. Um, and then because I'm a, a bit of a wimp when it comes to cold um, during the winter, I like it to to warm up to um, at least mid forties, preferably fifties, um, before I do anything outside or in my unheated garage. So then I'm usually ending up training later in the day. So, um, that's, that's kind of how I balance based on, um, the circumstances that are kind of imposed upon me both by the weather and then also with, uh, with work.
1: Do you get to train with anyone else or are you mostly solo?
0: mostly solo. Um, I do a master's swim. So that's kind of nice to have, have company, uh, the Austin triathlon club will occasionally, um, you know, hop into some of their, uh, you know, run workouts or, or bike. Um, it's a little bit hard with the pacing, um, because I'm slower than most able-bodied bikers, but faster than most able-bodied runners. So like go for a run, if you're going, you know, point to point, isn't you're still kind of by by yourself. Um, you know, for a, like track workout, if you're on a track, at least then you're, you know, somewhat <laughs> staying with a, a group. Um, so that makes it a little bit challenging, but I do like to find those opportunities when I can because there's only so many, you know, rides in the on the trainer or you know, out on the roads by yourself. It's just nice to have had some company along with that.
1: Yeah, I've ridden with a woman here locally who um has like a e-bike um, hand cycle. And so it's wild. So she, and as she did, I know that doesn't necessarily help with your purposes, but she can like, I think can use as much or as a little power as she wants, but it does help. Like we can ride together uphill. I can't keep up with her downhill. That's the only thing. <laughs> like she crushes me on the other descents, but, um, but I thought that was a cool way that like we could ride together. And, um, I just, it, I didn't even know that existed, but I saw, you know, I was like kind of a cool thing where we ran into each other and I was like, Wait, you're crushing me right now. <laughs> so it is. Um, I mean, because it is. It's like the uphill, downhill is a little bit hard. But, um, like I said, I've tried. I've tried chasing her downhill before, and she's also like fearless. And I'm just like, I can't do it. <laughs> so you're so much more arrow, I guess.
0: Yeah, and, and so much more stable. You know, because we've got the the three wheels. Um, so in Austin we have the uh, Circuit of the Americas F1 track. Um, and they they open it up for a bike night. Um which is super, super fun, because then you're riding the, the track on your bike, and they've got some pretty impressive hills, and so it's always this dynamic of, you know, I'm struggling, struggling, struggling up the hill, and then on the downhill, I'm passing all the people who just passed me, um, so, you know, it's, a- again, you're never with somebody, but you kind of have that that back and forth, and, and you always do get the looks, like, from the, the guys, you know, they're like, wait, you just, like, you were just like back there and now you're way, way up ahead of me. So that's always, always kind of fun to take advantage of the, the downhills. you feel like
1: I'm elite. I'm good at this. Yeah.
0: I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Don't write me off just because I'm a little lower to the ground.
2: Yeah. Emily, you already sound like probably one of the busiest women in, in history already. But I think as I was doing some Iron Women investigations, I think you also fill your time by being on. The board of directors at Art Spark Texas. And the mission there is to challenge perceptions of how people contribute by creating an arts-inspired inclusive community of individuals with diverse abilities. Um, I was like fascinated by this. It seems really amazing. And but it, it's so interesting because often, you know, and I hate to say it, but a lot of times athletes are not known for like their artistic side or their like cultural side, <laughs> right? Because, you know, and a lot of times I think it is. Maybe we don't have time to like you know, invest in that as much. Um, But how, you know, can you tell us a little bit about that program and how it kind of appealed to you? Do you have a background in arts or anything like that?
0: So I have a background, I'll say I'm a dabbler. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to claim the the term artist, Um, but I did dance growing up. Um, I'm very much a, a card sender. So I know emails are efficient, but I'm definitely still the like, you know, I just got done finishing my, uh, you know, homemade Valentine cards and got those in the mail. So that's, that's kind of my artistic expression. Um, so Spark used to be part of the um, VSA program, which was a national uh, program through the Kennedy Center. Um, and so I was familiar with that um, growing up and through my undergraduate experience, I volunteered with a group in Indiana. And so when I came down to Texas um, and kind of found the um, Park, which is the, again, the Texas chapter at the time of VSA, um, you know, I was already familiar with them and it was a, a nice way to get connected. Um, I was finishing or I had just finished my master's in social work, um, focusing on community and administrative leadership. Um, so I was looking for an opportunity to serve on, on a board and with the, the art side, with the disability side and the board service, It just all of that really came together. Um, and Arts Park is very interesting because it's all, all types of art and all types of disability. So, you know, there's all, all types of activities that are happening, you know, any given week. It might be the, you know, drum circle or it might be body shift, which is the dance company or, um, you know painting drawing, singing, media, arts, there's just all all kinds of things. and so as a board member, you know I love to be able to show up to some of these and you know get some hands-on experience, but then also to be able to provide more of the the behind the scenes kind of governance um, fundraising support for you to make all that possible.
1: I feel like saying you're like not really an artist is like saying you're like, not really an athlete. Like you probably are. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel like that. I'm like, I'm an art appreciator. Like, I know that for sure. Like, do, please do not give me anything to like actually be creative, but I, I I'm a appreciator. Of course, don't even try to dabble. But, um, we also love dogs here on the Iron Woman podcast. And we would love to hear
0: more about your service dog, Maple. All right. Well, yes, it would podcast about me would not be complete if Maple didn't uh, get her, her nods. Um, Although it's a little bit harder in just the, you know, audio, you don't get to see her adorableness, so um, I guess I can do my my best with her description. Uh, But Mabel is uh, my service dog. She is a lab golden cross, Um, so she is a nice yellow pup. Um, We've been together since 2019. She's the third service dog that I've had um, from the Indiana Canine Assistant Network, which is a program um, that uses um, folks in prison to train the dogs. Um, so she's my third, third pup from there. Um, and she is trained to, um, open the automatic doors, um, or I've got like attachments around my house to pull, pull doors shut. Um, she can retrieve objects. She can carry things, um, which comes in handy when you're doing triathlon. And you've got a bunch of stuff to, to carry. I'll usually let her carry my swim stuff because that's, you know, the, the lightest and there's the, the least amount to do. But she gives me a, a hand by trucking trekking that around. Um, she's very popular at all the camps and, and races that I go to. Um I was just out at the uh, Chula Vista Lead Athlete Center last week um, for a training camp and everybody's like where's Mabel? why isn't she here so um we're heading out to Colorado Springs tomorrow um to train at the Olympic training center and so she'll be she'll be going with me um, so she already you know knows where all the the doors are she knows the the dorm routine um, so she's a a pretty accomplished traveler uh, on her own by hanging out with me
1: is it hard to travel with her it's definitely an extra layer,
0: um, you know, because I have to pack all of her things, including all her, her food, which, you know, I pack nutrition, but I don't I don't have to pack all of my food. So at least there's that, uh, you know, and just making sure that, you know, it's her needs are, are met, especially while traveling. You know, if you've got a long layover or something, um, you know, and then it's traveling with a dog, a bike, <laughs> a race chair, my wheels, my luggage, her luggage. And you do dog. that
1: by yourself.
0: yes. <laughs> When I, when I have to, sometimes give yourself like lots of extra time. I do. Yes. And the joke is, you know, people are like, oh, you do this by yourself. I I really can't get very far in an airport, especially before people are just like tripping over themselves, offering to to help because it's, it's a lot to manage. So I've got a system and I can make it, make it work. um, But I'm generally also very willing to accept help um, just because I don't want to, Especially if I'm going to a race, I don't want to arrive exhausted just from traveling with with all that gear.
2: How do you decide which like races or camps or whatever that Maple would come to you with? How is that decision made?
0: So a lot of it is kind of what's going to be safe and healthy for her. So races, I usually prefer to leave her home unless I know it's a, a race where I, I know people and there might be like a support team, you know, who could watch her while while I race. Um, training camps, I'm usually more likely to to bring her because, you know, we've kind of got like a home a home base so I can easily leave her in the dorm or again, not a big deal to, you know, bring her to the, the track and have her hang out. Um, so it's kind of a, just a case by case basis. If I'm traveling with a, a handler to help me in the race, you know, they might also be able to, to help manage her. So it's, it's also that mental space of like, do I really just want to be focusing on me and my my race, you know, and not having to, to worry about her, her well-being.
2: Well, I think you have two very eager women who might, in LA, 2028, 20, be <laughs> Maples.
0: I know. Yeah, <laughs> I hang with Maple. I hang with Maple while we cheer. Okay, she can she can join you on that couch reservation.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, of course we can we can cuddle on the couch. Um, oh my goodness. No, I'm just like picturing you getting through the airport, and I can see where Maple's like somewhat helpful, but you're also like, I mean, because I picture myself and I and also I have a dog, and I'm like. If I had to bring him to, he doesn't sound quite <laughs> as well behaved as
0: Maple, but, um, that would be, a lot. my family lovingly calls it the dog and pony show because it is like, you just show up and it's, it's so much, it's so much stuff. And then Dude, my people, handler who came to nationals with me last year, okay. you know, it was only like for a long, a long weekend. He showed up with a backpack like that was oh all no. I, you I hate all of, you all of all of this stuff and I'm like I promise it's because I need all of it like I didn't <sighs> know I legitimately need everything that I brought but it's it's a lot
1: do try people out. ask you like all the time what's in your bag yes and my I can, bag.
0: yeah I'm, I'm always like well what's
1: in your bag like, <laughs> like
0: why do you think you're allowed to ask me this it looks very much like a body bag, like it's big and long and black. So, and then I usually balance that on top of my race chair. So, yeah. Do you and ever say it's a body? People, <laughs> yeah, I, I never said that. <laughs> but sometimes people know, like that's, it is exciting. Like when you're actually recognized, you know, as an athlete or people recognize your your sport or equipment, because we're still, we're still not really there yet. Like people are curious, but there's not that recognition of, you know, disabled athlete so it's usually just met with like what is this but every so often you get you get somebody who's like oh racing or triathlon and that's just like a validating feeling to be recognized for an athlete traveling to a competition rather than just kind of as a you know an oddity like what is happening here
2: Well, Emily, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. We really appreciate it. We are, I think you're going to have a whole fan base here for you and Maple. Looking forward to watching you step up to the international races in 2023 here and see what you can do in the next few years. So thanks so much. Well, thank you so much for having me I enjoyed our conversation. We've
1: had a pretty good streak of racing these last couple of weeks. I am curious though, now that the marathon's over, what are you, what are you doing to recover and hopefully take care of those toes? I'm very <laughs> concerned about your toes now after today's mailbag.
2: Um, <laughs> uh, so I have a week ahead of me of like easy shakeout workouts because I do, I have some more races on the horizon. I'm racing a 24 hour adventure race in April in a couple weeks. And then the weekend after that, um, I'm doing a swim run with my team that I'll be racing one water race with and later the summer. So um I want to make sure I'm feeling, you know, good for those but um so I yeah just eat super easy stuff some dog walks and stuff and I'm going to get in some spring skiing Haley I really had put a, put a damper on or I guess pulled the plug on my skiing about like 2 weeks out from the marathon because I was so nervous about just getting injured or something silly happening you know when I was fit and ready to run and so I will say there is a part of me that's happy that the winter is extending into April this year, because I will get to do some spring skiing and, um, keep working on those skills a little bit before all the snow goes away. It's a weird sport that like, you know, once the snow is gone, you just can't do it anymore. So, um, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to, I guess. Maybe in the next it makes couple weeks
1: makes you appreciate it more. Cause you know, yeah. you can't use you it's limited time, but well, enjoy your skiing, enjoy your shakeout workouts. Congrats again. And. I will chat with you next week.
2: Bye Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadesky. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ellen Titian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.